my husband would give me something, and if I didn't do what he wanted, he'd take it back. I remember one time I was out on the street and I didn't do what he wanted and he told me to take my Tim's off in the street because he bought them. Hello, single dad, why you mad family? This is David and you are about to hear part two of the domestic violence episode with Keisha. Uh, but please be sure to check in on the back end and catch the conversation between Clark and myself where we agree to disagree. Let's get it. Single dad, why you mad? Single dad, why you mad? Single dad, why are you mad? Single dad, why 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 you mad? So, so it took you a year to actually mm-hmm. and get away from this, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, what was your feeling? Uh, and you had your kids with you, right? Well, it took me a year because I didn't want to take the kids with me. And so, well, I didn't know. I had never left New York ever to go anywhere other than Trinidad. That's the only other place I left New York to go. So I really, at this point, didn't know where I would end up. And I didn't want to drag my kids through whatever it was I was going to go through to get where I needed to be. So you was gonna. So I had an aunt that was living with me at the time who was visiting from Trinidad. Remember? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, when it was time for her to go back, I asked her, "I said, will you take the kids with you?" Mm-hmm. And so she agreed. So now, I'm putting a plan into place to do reverse psychology on him, so that. They're going to Trinidad is his idea and not my idea because at the time that law had went into place where you couldn't get a passport for a kid without both parents being present. Uh-huh. And so I knew I would never get that passport. So I had to play nice. I had to play the good wife again and pretend like I wanted to work on our relationship and that he meant the world to me. And I had to do things in the bedroom that I didn't want to do. And, you know, I just had to play the role so that he's always in smile mode with me when he see me, you know? And so, huh? Did it work? Of course it worked. (laughs) <laughs> of course it worked and every uh, every time we wanted to be together and we couldn't because the kids were present I'd, I'd lay that line on him see now if the kids were in Trinidad right now with my aunt we could just get up and go we could just do whatever we want and he would just be like nah, my kids need to be here with me at all times. And I'm just like, yeah, but we need to work on some things. And if they weren't here, we'd be more spontaneous. We'd be able to do more things. And so every time that opportunity came about for me to mention that we would do better as a couple if they weren't here for just a little while until eventually he started doing it. And I made him do it to the point where he had to convince me that the kids had to go to Trinidad. So I was just like, okay, yeah, great. They could go. So we, they can go. Who's buying the tickets? Because I don't got the money to buy the tickets. You're going to buy the tickets? And once he said yes, I ran with it. So the kids once he So, so he once, yeah, so he, once we got the passports and the kids were in Trinidad, that was it. I, I packed up my stuff and... 
it was where am, the question is at this point, where am I going to go? Yes. And so I had a cousin in Florida um, who was willing to help me. And so I was just like, all right, I want to go to Savannah, Georgia. And she was just like, why Savannah, Georgia? And I was just like, because there's a great school out there that I want to go to. And it's a thousand miles away from New York. And I know a thousand miles away from New York is going to do two things for me. And she was just like, what two things? I said, one, it's going to be too far for him to put the effort for him to come and find me. And two, it's going to be too far for me to have second, second guess myself and go back. So, so you said that you had a big family, right? Mm-hmm. You got brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. Brothers? I have brothers. Why not send one of them over there to crack his skull? Because he had a he has a baby mama. And when they broke up, when things didn't go his way, he went and shot up her family's house. And so I didn't want that for my family because in as much as they would have defended my honor, they're not gun people. They're not street people. So it, it, it could have gotten that bad. It could have gotten that bad because they would have, because fist to fist, my, my brothers would fight for, for me fist to fist. But because he wouldn't have been able to hold his own fist to fist, he would have gotten a gun. And then they would have thought about, oh, is that serious? And then they would have gotten, I couldn't, I didn't want to lose a family member over this. Good point. Good point. Good point. So, it's interesting, like, you know, as you're recounting it and you're, 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 you're doing those mental mathematics. Mm-hmm. And, like, and I want to dive into some of the work that you do after we, you know, after we get to a few more points. But, like, in the conversations I've had with people who go through these situations, you know, and I say people because it's not just women. Like, you know, men have to do this, this mental mathematics as well in their relationships. Yes. And they go, I don't want my family getting dragged into this, into this problem. And not only you don't want them to get dragged in, but you definitely don't want to get them dragged in if you're going to go back. Right. You understand? Because you got to re- you got to you remember this. I mean, I was trained up to serve him and it was supposed to be him and him alone. They're, they're in, in my mind at that time, I couldn't even conceive being with someone else. Like the thought process was it, it just was inconceivable there will be somebody else? No, there's not going to be somebody else. You know, I'm just going to be a spinster for the rest of my life if I'm not with him. You know what I'm saying? I, it just was, it wasn't part of my thought process that I would find somebody else or that anybody else would be interested. And not only that, he used to tell me too, like, who would want you? You know what I'm saying? He was just, he, he used to make it seem as though, like he was with me out of pity. You know what I'm saying? And I know now that that stemmed from my parents because my parents never told me that they loved me while I was a a young girl growing up. I never heard those words from either of my parents. And he was the first person to ever say it to me. And I'm going to tell you, I remember the day he told it to me. I remember where I was. I remember where I was, what I was wearing. 
And the feeling was so euphoric. It was just, I can, I can actually compare it to a high. It was just that euphoric, like, oh my God, it's possible. I'm lovable. Someone loves me. Oh yeah. I'm not going anywhere. And I think he saw that look on my face like, huh, interesting. Let me say it again and see what happens. And he said it again and got the same reaction. You know, I make sure now, every Valentine's Day, I tell my husband, I was just like, listen, I shouldn't say husband, but, you know, my children's father, that, yo, go and get something for them, for, for, for the girls. Get them a rose. Get them a card. Get them some chocolate. They should always have that standard with you, a standard with you, that nobody can step to them more than that. So, you know, you have to be, you have to be the first person to say to them that you love them. You have to be the first person that they run to when they, they, they feel like they need protection. It should be you first, not a dude on the street. And for me, he was that person for me first, not my father. That's interesting. I mean, we've heard it before, but that's interesting. Yeah. All right, so, so um, I want to transition. Um, you were married again. You got married again. I would say common law, because right. in Florida they, they acknowledge common law. He has proposed to me every single year since the year we met, but I have never been able to take the dive, so to speak. I just... It, it feels fraudulent to me. But how long were you, okay, so uh, I'm doing two things at the same time. How long were you away from your first two children before you reunited with them? A year. Okay. Um, and so then, I left I left New York September 19, 2004, and I got them back around the same time, 2005. And they came to you in Georgia or Florida or wherever it was? They came to me in and Georgia didn't work out and I ended up in Florida and that's where they came to me and, to be um, with me. Had he tried, had, had their father tried to reach out to them or get them? Nope, they haven't seen their father since that day that they left to this very day. Have Never seen him face to face. Have they talked to him? Um, Sparingly, I can count from 2004 to now. I can count on my hands, using both my hands, how many times they've communicated with him. How did he ultimately find you guys? He hasn't. Oh, he doesn't know. Um, I reach. He doesn't know. He knows that I'm in Florida, but he doesn't know where. And he he found me because when my son was around, I'd say. 13, 14, you know, that, that, that really awkward stage that boys go through when uh, they're not receiving instruction anymore and they can make decisions for themselves. It's a very awkward stage transition. And so I saw that he needed a male figure, but the issue that we had with, with the dynamic in our household is that my older two kids stuck together, and the last four 
stuck together. It was a, it's a huge division in my house. And it wasn't because that's the way I wanted it to be, but my oldest child wanted my son to realize that that's not your dad. And so in as much as my son was four at the time and she was six at the time, he doesn't remember his dad and she remembers him vividly. So she was insisting that she feed him those memories. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. So for her, it was like a violation to call someone else dad. And she just didn't want him to be a part of that violation where my son really needed that father figure and just was in conflict between keeping my oldest daughter happy, not violating his original dad and the relationship that he has now with, you know, my partner. It's just, it was just a confusing time. And so against advice that I received, because when I came, got to, to Florida and I was, and I settled myself and got a place and got a job and everything, I immediately started my, my healing process. This is what I would like to call it. And so I would talk about whether or not I would ever be able to reach out to him and stuff like that. And they would tell me always, it's not in the best interest of your children to do that because I'm, I'm contemplating if I should tell you truly and honestly how I got to Florida because I haven't discussed it with the older two kids, how I got here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All right. You can, you can hold Hello? Right. Yeah, you can hold yeah. off on that. I mean, I can tell you so you'd understand, but you'd have to omit it if it doesn't work. You know what I mean? No, no, no just, just, just let's, let's keep going. You don't have to do that. Okay. And so I reached out to him on Facebook because at the time, Facebook was pretty new. Well, maybe to me. And I figured it would be the safest way to go about doing it for him to be introduced to his dad, so to speak. And I reached out to him first through email. And it took him probably about a week to respond. And when he responded, he was just like, you know, he wrote this response a million times and didn't know what to say and, you know, a whole bunch of hoopla. And so I just said, you know, I think we're both in different places in our lives now. And I think it's important that you inject yourself into your son's life. I've tried with you before when we were still talking early, early on and it didn't seem to work, but now he's older and I think he needs his father. And he told me, I don't want to be a face, a Facebook dad. <laughs> and so I keep trying and I keep trying, you know, Google games. They both like chess. I figure let's play chess on Google games and stuff like that. And he would do it once or twice, but not enough for, you know, my son to feel like he's bridging a gap. You know what I mean? 
he'd do it because I requested, and then we wouldn't hear from him for months on end. And it, I kept trying and trying and trying until my son came to me and said, just stop. <laughs> I, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't want to be a part of my life. That's, that's fine. And so I stopped. And by so, the, that time he, he, he started college by that time. So there really wasn't any reason for me to try to facilitate meetings with them anymore. So that was it. So it went from like, so went from like 13 to like 16, they were having this kind of intermittent connection, but nothing solid ever grew of it. Longer than that until he was about, I would say 18 was the cutoff. 18 was when he, my son was just like, no more of this, you know, because he had, at, at that point, he had also made a whole lot of promises that he didn't keep as well. Oh, I'm saving money for you for school and stuff like that. And okay. So he finally gets into the university that he wants to get into and we're $5,000 short. So we want to see that money that you've been saving up all these years and nada. He literally told me he's starting a, a GoFundMe account to get the money that he needs for college. And my son was just like, a GoFundMe account for five grand? He's just like, the tuition is 40000 a year. My, you put $20,000 down. He should put the other twenty. What's the problem? Why GoFundMe? That's not my dad. He's just like, leave him alone. So we left him alone. And every so often he, he would, he still texts me. He texts me happy birthday every single year. And I'm just like, <laughs> I don't know what to, I don't know how to receive that. Like, what is that supposed to, <laughs> I don't know. It's just so, really hard. To, so let me, to, ask, let me, let me, let me ask. Did you mm -hmm. and your two oldest children ever witness um, a physical altercation between you and their dad? Yes, my oldest does. She, they, they both were present, but my son doesn't remember. My oldest does. Have you ever talked to your oldest about uh, some of that stuff? Yeah, we, we went to therapy together. When I started the healing process, it was a whole family. They were going to children's counseling and I was going to the adult group counseling. I didn't leave them out because this was, you know, at the time I'm like, what, 25, 26? I don't, you know, I'm in my 20s. I really am trying to figure things out for myself. So there's no way that I would be able to support whatever it was that they were going through, mm -hmm. you know? I remember a time where he was so he was so cocky, so to speak, where the children was concerned. He made me stand up on one side of the living room. He stood up on the other side of the living room. He put the kids in the middle, and he told us to both call them. And I was just like, that's going to confuse them. And he said, I'll show you. They'll both come to me. And so I called them. I was like, you know, you know come to mommy, come to mommy. My son came to me, but my daughter, without even second guessing it, she went straight to him. And so when I went into counseling, I told them that, and they were just like, 
don't underestimate children. Children work off of feeling, energy, and what's what's going. They might not understand what's going on, but they know what feels right and what feels wrong. And it's very well that she went to him because if both of them had came to you, you would have got your ass whooped. Yeah, there's, I, I think it's more to than just who likes who. So you're you're in a new relationship now, um, and I don't want right. to say right. Because you know, huh? I said I don't want to say new because it's obviously fourteen years old at least, right? Right. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you to meet and trust somebody new? I did everything that my gut told me not to, and that was the only way that I was going to get over that hurdle. Because I had been so conditioned that I should be with one person and one person only that had I not did that, I would still be with my two kids and it would just be me and that would be it. In order for it to be different, I had to be different and I had to do different. And I, I didn't know what that looked like. So I just had to do it. It was... It... it <sighs> Like I came, I came out here to Florida where everybody is trusting and nice and caring and everybody talks to everybody. When I came from an environment where nobody trusts anybody, you can't look at people too long or it's a beef. You know what I'm saying? It, 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 it's a, it was a huge culture shock for me. Everybody here talks to everyone, strangers, you know, I used to be like, you know, people say, good morning. And I'd be like, do I know you? That literally would be my response. Like, do I know you? Do you know me from somewhere? You know, and I'd go on jobs and they'd tell me that I'm very abrasive, you know, and that I don't fit their, their, you know, their, the culture of their environment, you know, and I could not, yeah, I could not get it. I just, everybody was just, that Southern hospitality was thick. And I just had that New York, what you looking at attitude. And so when I met him, a friend, I had a roommate at the time. This was maybe like three months before the kids came from Trinidad to meet up with me. Mm-hmm. And my, my roommate was just like, chick, you're too young for this. Like you go to work, you come home, you cook, you clean, you go to bed. That is your routine seven days a week. Like, it's sickening. You're too young for this. You're not even 30. And I used to be like, what, what else do you want me to do? She was like, we're young. We're, we're, look at, we got a three-bedroom apartment. It's two of us. We're free. You know, let's go hang out. And I was just like, girl, hanging out got my ass whooped so many times. I have no interest, you know? And she was just like, just come on. Just come on. And I was just like, no. And she'd just be nagging me, nagging me, nagging me every day. Come on, Keisha, come on, come on, come on. And I'd be like, no. And then one day she was, we were in my living room just, you know, talking stupidness. And she decided, I am going to pray for a man. And I said, "Uh uh-uh, girl, I ain't even going to be a part of that prayer. No how, no way. And she started saying, I want a man that's cute and I want a man that's has a car and a good job. And I started adding things out of my own experience. I was just like loyalty, you know, faithfulness. You want to add those things into the pot. 
And as I was adding into her little prayer, I saw a silhouette of a person. I didn't see a face, but I did see a silhouette of a person. And I thought to myself, oh, that's kind of weird. I didn't think nothing of it. And she just kept on her prayer. And when she was done, we laughed about it. And that was that. That weekend, we went to a a a, a reggae club. I was like, if we're going to go anywhere, we're going to go to a reggae club. I'm not going to this, whatever this, the southern y'all whatever y'all got out here i ain't into that but if you got a reggae club i'll go so she was like okay the real thing the real thing we'll go to the real thing and so i was like all right let's go and i went in there and i knew for a fact i needed to loosen up i hadn't had a drink in i don't know over a year and so i knew i needed something to get me a little loose so i went to the bar and when i went to the bar that same silhouette that I saw when she was praying, I saw the silhouette coming towards me when I was standing at the bar. No lie. And the person came up to me and said, I got your drink. And I said, well, I didn't pay for the first one. You might as well. He said, I got your next drink. And I said, well, I didn't pay for the first one. So you can have this one too. And he said, no. He said, no, I'll get the next one. And so I was like, all right. And so we started talking and that's all she wrote. We've been together ever since. I mean, that's the cliff note version, but in order for me to have gotten to where we now have four kids together, every time he complimented me, I had to accept it. Every time he gave me a gift, I had to accept it because in my, my, my marriage, my husband would give me something. If I didn't do what he wanted, he'd take it back. I remember one time I was out on the street and I didn't do what he wanted. And he told me to take my Tim's off in the street because he bought them. And I remember saying to myself, I would never put myself in a situation where a man could do that to me. He could, he could literally strip me in the street because everything I have came from him. So my gut would tell me, don't take the gift. But in order for me to get over that hurdle, I would have to accept it and be gracious about it. But in the back of my mind, I'd be like, make sure you got your Vex money and your bra girl. So he tried to, you know, do anything. You can still get where you need to be. And I've been like that ever since. And I believe I am the cause of the destruction in our relationship because he's just like, I'm not him. And you keep crucifying me like I am him. And I don't see where I'm doing that, but I'm sure I probably am. And that, that was going to be my question. Like, what was the impetus of, of this relationship drifting apart? And what would you say is, what would you say is your culpability in it happening? What made this relationship, in my opinion, because he probably have a whole lot other things to say, but in my opinion, I think it is the fact that he couldn't he couldn't get close to my older two kids mm-hmm. and because and it wasn't because he didn't want to be close to them it's because they didn't want to be close to him but i felt like he should have tried harder you know i i don't 
you know, he, he tried once, he tried twice, and they rejected him. And he just quit. And I felt like he should have tried harder because they're already dealing with rejection. You know, they're in love with this man that is supposed to be their father that is rejecting them every single time. He doesn't call them for their birthday. He doesn't call them for Christmas. He doesn't, he's not there at their games. He's not even making an attempt to be a part of their lives. Every time he is not present for something in their lives, they feel that rejection. They can't articulate it, but you could see it in their faces when the other children have those same moments and their dad is there and they watch how the kids react to both their parents being there and they don't have that. And I just felt like he needed to just try harder so that they can have that experience too. And he would just tell me over and over, they are not going to have that experience because they reject me as that person in their life. And I just couldn't... I couldn't see that. I feel like children are moldable and our kid, I, you know, he was in their life before they were old enough to just be set in their ways, you know? And so I could be wrong, but year after year after year after trying to foster a relationship with their biological and then not working and then trying to foster, force a relationship with, my new relationship and that's not working just left me exhausted you know I wanted that perfect family and I just wasn't getting it no matter what I tried I tried and tried and tried and and I it got to a point where I myself was just like what am I doing wrong like I'm as faithful as faithful can be I can cook my ass off you know I'm not as I'm not as skinny as I was 20 years ago, but I still look kind of cute, you know? I'm like, what is it that I'm, I, just, I just can't get it? I have all the qualities that quote-unquote men state that they want, and I present those things, and I still can't have that family. I just was, you know, I was just bummed by that. And so me wanting perfection when it doesn't exist – has a lot to do with why we've drifted. And I and I can honestly tell you, if I was to go to him today and say, you know what, let's start over. You know, I accept your hand in marriage and let's just live our life. He'd go for it. He was always all in. It's just me who was always guarded. Yeah. And so the question becomes, if you know that, what what's stopping you? I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm with him. We were in a relationship. We have four kids together, but it always felt like I was cheating. Always. It always felt like I was cheating. Because you're still emotionally grounded and tied to the first situation. Yes. I think the first my first marriage relationship a lot of things first it's tied into who I am as a person. And I can't, I don't want to say I can't, I, I, I don't know how to let it go. You know, if, if he was to present, if my ex-husband was to come and stand up in front of me today and say, let's do this again, I'd be like, hell no. 
and and be sure of it as as sure as my name is Keisha I'd be like hell no but I still can't let go of what I invested in that relationship you know, it, to be free in this one you know it's interesting I was explaining to somebody the other day because like one of my really good friends that reached out to me and she she was going through you know a struggle with you know the ending of her relationship and the father of you know two of her three kids but she had known him since they were in third grade mm-hmm that is hard because you told, know them now longer than you you you've known them longer than you've been living on earth right and so she's going through that emotional struggle and you know he has some issues that he needs to sort out I and mean, she's like dealing with the guilt and so forth and she's like but i won't go back but i'm still invested and i said listen because she, she's also dealing with people passing judgment and saying hey you know, do you can't want to go back there. You can't want to go back there. She said, I can feel guilt without wanting to be with him. I described it as high school. I said, I can look back at my experience at high school and said, yo, I had some struggles. I had some trials. I had some tribulations. I had some amazing times. There may be mm-hmm. things I miss about high school. That don't mean I want to relive that shit. That doesn't mean I want to go back. Exactly. Right. Or I talk about like growing up in Brooklyn. Growing up in hood-ass Brooklyn, there were some amazing times. There was a lot of danger. There was a lot of excitement. I don't want to relive that shit. You know, and I say for you, like, you know, you, you've already expressed that you've gone through counseling, you know, and this may have been a handful of years ago. Going, right, going. So you're, so you're currently there. It's, the domestic violence is, is it's ongoing. Right. You know, some people stop because they get the tools and they can work the tools that they need to get through whatever hurdle. But for me, it was, it's different because I feel like I went through it. I survived it. I healed from it. And then my daughter reopened it, Mm -hmm. so to speak. You know, she turned 18, she moved to New York and who did she go look for? Did she find him? She found him. And then Gave him all our information, our location, and and all kinds of other things. And I have other children that I need to protect that have nothing to do with that life. So and we this, had to uproot, you know. And that that stirred up a whole lot of stuff that I, I guess I hadn't dealt with, and I had to start all over again. Did you express not from scratch, but did you, huh? Did you express to her that that was not something you were happy with? She knew. And and what was her response? She she knew. She blames me for for us not being a family. You know, the grass is always green on on the on the other side, and and as much as she knew the situation we were in and how dangerous it was for us that to her he's still dad and so does he business with her or like do they hang out or like are they in contact i haven't spoken to her since she's 23 years old right now and Mm -hmm. i haven't spoken to her since she left and she left when she was 18. wow so you don't so, know where she know, is, you don't know what she's doing. I, she lives with my mom. I know where she is. She lives yeah. with my mom in New York, in Brownsville. But, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of 
there's a lot of damage there. Yeah, there's a lot. And and my role in this is that I have to let her go through whatever it is that she's going through until she comes to a conclusion the way that I did. I can't I you know, her truth is her truth. Right. It's just like it's it's like somebody coming to me and saying, No, you didn't really go through all of that. This is what really happened, you know, when I lived it. You know what I'm saying? She lived it and I didn't experience it from her lens. I experienced it from my lens. So however she whatever scenario she created so that she can cope with that situation, that's her truth. And she has to come to terms with it in a way in which she's all right with it. And then we can talk because for us to try to battle verbally with each other, that's not what really happened. And that's not what really happened. And that's not how that went down. We're not going to get anywhere. Right. And so that's the situation with her. As for my son, he, he's moved out, you know, he's, he's going to be 21 this year and for him he feels like he had a good life you know and as much as he didn't call you know my current partner dad you know he's he's on his own now and whenever he needs something that's the person he goes to to get it you know when he needs to talk about something sometimes we get he's going through trouble with his girlfriend and he needs to talk to somebody. He's going to call him before he calls me. You know, and that's, all, that's what I always wanted. I wanted them to have that. I wanted him to have that younger, but I wanted them to have that. So he's fine. And he's okay. You know, his words exactly, if he's not interested in me, I'm not interested in him. And I know that comes from a place of hurt. And I know he doesn't truly mean it. But right now, that's his truth. And I yeah. have to accept it. And, and that truth can always change. That truth can always evolve. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm patient about it. And, you know, however that comes about, it comes about. I just want, I don't, what I really didn't want is I didn't want his biological father to ever say, I prevented them from being together. I think, right. you know, that was important to me that if he ever reached out and said, Oh, I want to see him and I want to do this with him and I want to do that with him. You know, it was always important to me that I made a way I had to make a way that was safe for everybody. Right. But I wanted to make sure that I made a way, but he's never reached out to have that, that opportunity or that time. So it is what it is. And so, Oh, you you had something to say, David? So prior to huh? so prior to getting into the relationship with your current um, partner, did you express mm-hmm. your current partner? Not prior to, but when you were getting into the relationship, anytime during the beginning of the relationship, did you express um, your past, or did you divulge your past to your uh, partner? From from day one, I told him from day one. Okay. Because it was important to me, because when I was here in Florida, I was still married. I was still legally married. So it was important to me that if I was going to get into another relationship, I had to be divorced first. 
So you want to take me out? That's fine. But you have to understand that it's going to be 100% platonic. And so he agreed to it. And so I was just like, that means no kissing. That means no sex. You, you're really going to agree to it? And he was just like, I think you're worth it. So absolutely. First and off, so that's how that. He's, mm-hmm. a, he's a better man than me. I'm just saying. I don't even know you. <laughs> he's a better man than me. Because I'm And he's, 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 he's from the Caribbean. He's West Indian. So I already felt like. You had to kiss him. I'm doing 50% better already. <laughs> now you're going to offend David because you know David and West Indian, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, David, but that's that was my thought process at the time. I was like, you know, that I believe deeply the cultural difference between me and my my first husband was the, the had a lot to do with why all my gifts went to waste. <laughs> And so, so where, where, where is your current partner from now? Just out of curiosity. He's from St. Kitts. Oh, St. Kitts? Okay. I guess kind of, sort of. He's going to listen to this and cost me, but that's fine. All right. So mm-hmm. uh, we've been at this for a little while. We need yeah. to wind down. Okay. Um, and uh, uh, I guess... Uh, I'm going to ask you if you have any parting words, like, you know, if you look back on your life, if you look back on all of this, you know, um, is there anything that you would do differently? Um, And if so, why so? I wouldn't do anything different because for me to change any aspect of it would mean that I wouldn't have the, the first two kids. And those were my ride or dies. I went with them everywhere. They went with me everywhere. And I can't imagine life without those two. You know, that's that is that would be the only reason why I would endure what I endured all over again, just to get them out of it. Well, I, like the only thing that, that comes, yeah, I'm here. The only thing that comes to mm-hmm. mind for me, because. Like you have such an impactful and powerful story, and we we spent a lot of time going through a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a whole other page that we need to cover with you, and that there is. I, I think that's your work because my career, my career was 100% impacted by everything I just told you. Right. You know, I became I became a nurse and that first my first nursing job was as a drug rehab nurse. And why did I become a drug rehab nurse? Cuz I needed to understand why drugs were so important to him. I didn't understand addiction. I didn't understand the manufacturing process. I didn't understand the distribution process. I didn't understand any of it. And when I became a drug rehab nurse, I was able to understand it in a way that I don't think he would have been able to explain it to me, even if he tried a million different ways. I had to experience that. And I stayed there until I felt satisfied. And then from there, I went into domestic violence, um, not directly into domestic violence counseling, but in between 
the shelter that I was receiving my counseling from, they said the same thing to me. They said, the details of your story can help so many people. Like, can, can you and will you talk to our families that are trying to survive from this? They need to see that there's a rainbow on the other end. And so I started in the middle of my healing process, I started public speaking, but only in facilities, you know, that were catering to people from who, who were trying to, you know, move on from domestic violence. Yeah, so I, you know, it, it goes back to one of the things I say very often in a lot of the work I do professionally and even like when David and I have people on, in order to see, in order to be a thing, you have to see a thing or conceive a thing. You have to like see it in process and go, oh, that's a path I can follow. Or you look at it in your mind's eye and go, okay, there's a gap that I personally know I can fill. And right. it's very important that, you know, for those families, they see you and go, there is a way out. There's a light yes. at the end of the tunnel. And, yes. I, I, and I think for our listeners, you know, for you to share that perspective and share, okay, you know, I went through this. This is the kind of work I, I'm doing. This is what I'm seeing. And also with us being, you know, the Single Dad Why You Mad podcast and, a, and kind of a, a forum for fathers, laying, uh, lending your voice to what you've seen fathers go through from a domestic violence standpoint. Absolutely need to have you come back. So I, I'm going to agree that this is definitely something we need to circle back on. Um, we do need to wrap this up, though. Um, yes. Clark, you got any parting words? Yeah, like I, 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 I shared with David earlier, like my part in this and kind of as an observer in this goes a, a lot deeper than, you know, we, we shared with our audience on the onset. Um, this, this, this was kind of a hard one for me, you know, and um, I absolutely want to have you come back. I absolutely want you to, to touch on the things we discussed. And I want to thank you for, for reaching out and, and having the coverage to share your story today. No problem. I, it was my pleasure. And if my story helps just one other family out there, I've done my job. I agree. Thank you very much, Keisha. You're welcome. Okay, we'll circle back with you real soon. All right, thank you. Okay. Thanks, Mama. Bye-bye. Um, you got anything else to add here? Call to action? Yo, same call to action as always. Ladies, gentlemen, and consenting adults, thank you for listening to another episode of the Single Dad Why You Mad podcast. We appreciate you. We love you. Thank you to all of our supporters, all of our followers. Like us. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on YouTube. Make sure to tell your friends. We're out and share on Twitter at all of the podcast formats. Um, David, anything from you? Single dad, why the fuck are you mad? Single dad, why you mad? Single dad, why you mad? Single dad, why are you mad? Single dad, why 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 you mad?